There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly Podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome, Welcome to, to Twisted, Twisted Philly. Philly. Welcome back to another episode of Twisted Philly. I'm your host, Dina Marie. This episode is a little bit of a departure from recent episodes, and this story started back in July. Well, part of this story started in July, and another part of it started in 1972. Over the summer, I had the opportunity to attend an opera preview of We Shall Not Be Moved, an opera Philadelphia production featured in this season's Opera with a Twist. A friend sent me information about this event, and he said it's an opera about MOVE, as in the organization that was under siege from the city of Philadelphia back in 1978 and then bombed by the city in 1985. We Shall Not Be Moved is the story of five North Philadelphia teens who have formed a bond of family, and they take shelter in a condemned house in West Philadelphia. Whether by chance or by coincidence, The house is the former location of the MOVE headquarters on Osage Avenue. The evolution of this story, from the bombing on Osage on May 13, 1985, to the remarkable concept of bringing such an explosive topic to the stage through opera, begins with the desire to celebrate and support the children of Philadelphia through the arts. Opera Philadelphia's mission is to embrace innovation and develop opera for the 21st century. They make opera more accessible through community outreach programs, working with both established and emerging artists, and celebrating the diverse cultural community within Philadelphia. It was one of their community outreach programs through which the opera We Shall Not Be Moved was born. And that was a program called Hip Hopera. Hip Hopera launched 10 years ago as a collaboration between Opera Philadelphia and another organization called Art Sanctuary. Art Sanctuary, founded in North Philadelphia by Lorene Carey, was founded with the purpose of using the power of black art to transform individuals, unite groups of people, and enrich and draw inspiration from the inner city. Combining resources, creativity, talent, and, of course, commitment to children, Opera Philly and Art Sanctuary found a way to bring music, including opera, into Philadelphia schools without music programs. They modernized the concept of opera and blended music with the written word. Hip Hopper's first event, years ago, featured original poems written by participating students, set to music by classically trained composers, and then performed at the Church of the Advocate and at the Kimmel Center. Five years ago, the Hip Hopper program was reimagined after receiving funding from the Knight Foundation, and it became a multi-year program at four different Philadelphia high schools. Again, student self-expression through music, journal writing, and other creative arts about life continued as the focus of hip-hopera. The student letters, journals, and poems are what eventually became the basis for an opera, We Shall Not Be Moved, which premiered this weekend at Opera Philadelphia's Opera with a Twist Festival, currently featuring seven different operas around the city. 
Recently, I sat down with Michael Bolton, the vice president of community initiatives for Opera Philadelphia, and Val Gay, executive director for Art Sanctuary. Michael and I met earlier this summer at the preview event in July, and he was kind enough to say yes when I asked if I could interview him for Twisted Philly and share the story of We Shall Not Be Moved with our listeners. Michael joined Opera Philadelphia in 2001. He leads the student opera appreciation program Sounds of Learning, which now reached 150 schools from as far south as Cape May, New Jersey, and as far north as Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, and of course, all over Philly. In 2006, Michael was the recipient of Opera America's first diversity award for his community outreach programs. Val Gay joined Art Sanctuary in 2012. Prior to becoming the executive director at Art Sanctuary, Val was dean of institutional advancement for the College of Education at Temple University. There, she had responsibility for directing community building, fundraising, alumni activities for close to 40,000 alumni at the college. Val was named one of Philadelphia's most influential African-Americans and 101 Connector Leaders. She also serves on the board of directors for both the Marian Anderson Award and the Blues Babe Foundation. I met with Michael and Val at the offices for the Kimmel Center. Now, I'm sitting in this conference room with two cultural powerhouses, two people who are changing the lives of children all over the city of Philadelphia. I felt so blessed to be in their company and that of Alexis Johnson. She's the communications coordinator for Opera Philadelphia. They were all so very generous with their time, their experiences, and their vulnerability. The level of collaboration between Michael and Val was like an energy bouncing off my skin as I sat in the same room with them. So my first request was to ask them to share with me the background and evolution of hip hopera because that's really where everything started, how they connected and how they began collaborating. What was the journey that brought letters written by children in an after-school program to the stage as a full-blown opera combining the story of Move from 1985 and the Philadelphia School District budget crisis from 2013? Hi. <laughs> hey. Good to see you. Val? Val or Valerie? Val. Val, Dina, nice Dina, to meet you. Nice to meet you. Hi, I'm Alexis. Alexis, nice to meet you too. I heard this was a last minute request, so thank yeah. you so oh, much. No worries, no worries, and I apologize. Uh, of course, how these things go, but I look at the calendar and it looks really lovely, and then <laughs> actually stuff actually starts happening. There's no need to apologize. I'm, I'm so happy you're here. I was so excited when I saw Alexis's note this morning saying that you were going to be joining oh, cool. us. Oh, cool. Excellent. Excellent. I have questions, but sure. I don't want this to be anything yeah, yeah, formal. Yeah. Like, we're yeah. just, we're having a conversation. Sure, sure. It's really important to me that you have the opportunity to talk about what you feel is most important. What's the message that you want to share about both Art Sanctuary and Opera Philly, Hip Opera? Sure. We're great tag teamers. Yeah, we are. <laughs> We've been married for like five years now. Yeah. Well, so let me ask, now that Val's here, Hip Hop started about 10 years ago in 2007, 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and that was a partnership between both of the organizations, yep. yeah. Opera Philadelphia and Art Sanctuary. So how did how did that start? How was that oh born? Gosh. So it started uh, right around the time Opera Philadelphia did a new opera called Margaret Garner, mm-hmm. and that was uh, an opera that was had music by Richard Daniel Poor and a libretto by Toni Morrison, she used the same source material that inspired her to write the novel Beloved. It's the same story, it's the same source story, in which Margaret Garner was an enslaved woman in Kentucky, basically ends up killing two of her kids so, to keep them from getting back into slavery. You know, during this time, we're like, well, we have this amazing program, we did this amazing opera, what do we do next? How do we keep this going, knowing that we didn't necessarily have anything that was so 
community-based happening programmatically. Olive Mosier from the Independence Foundation uh, said to David Devan, uh, David was at that point was our new uh, our new managing director. Mm-hmm. He had come from Canada, didn't know anybody in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. but he knew Olive Mosher. Olive Mosher was like, oh, do you know Sonia Sanchez? Uh, Sonia Sanchez, the phenomenal poet, was like, oh, do you know Lorene Carey from mm-hmm. Art Sanctuary? So it was this little like connect the dot sort of thing that got us working together with Art Sanctuary. And from this program came this hip hopper idea. Art Sanctuary had North Stars, this wonderful after-school program that engaged kids in the arts. You know, we as an opera company have access to artists. Let's put it all together and see what happens. You know, and we came up with this um, this song cycle where North Star's poems were set to music by four different composers locally. Uh, we had two performances at the Church of the Advocate, both of which sold out. We had another performance at the Kimmel Center as part of their summer solstice, also sold out. One of our students got invited to perform her poem at then-Governor Rendell's mansion, part of a poetry festival. It was Mm mind-blowing. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. But where's the hip-hop and where's the opera? (laughs) (laughs) So then we began this very long conversation of like, okay, what do we do next? We have to, we got to make this work. A couple years later, uh, our sanctuary got funding from Engage 2020. Then we got funding from uh, the Knight Foundation and the Wincode Foundation to really kind of explore what what this could look like. And I remember in that first iteration back in 2007, I literally Googled hip-hop classical composers, and the name Daniel Bernard Romain came up. And I was like, he's from New York, he's never come to Philadelphia to write a couple songs, it's not going to happen. But it was such an interesting name, and at that point he was going by DBR, mm-hmm. and he had like these crazy dreadlocks, yeah. and it was like this Lenny Kravitz meets classical music kind of vibe. With his violin and his And come back to 2012, when we start this, we reached out to his management and, you know, would he be interested in sort of exploring this idea where we, again, where we would take kids' writings and maybe turn it into an opera? And they said yes. Okay, let's pause for a minute. Michael just mentioned someone that's important in our story. Actually, he's just one of many important someones in this episode. Daniel Bernard Remain, or DBR, as he's known in some circles. Daniel is an acclaimed violinist. He's a composer, and he's known for bending musical genres because he's a classical artist who mixes electronic and urban influences in his music. Daniel Bernard Romain has worked with Savion Glover and Lady Gaga, so he spans the entire spectrum of music. He's on the board of directors for the League of American Orchestras. He's composed music for the Boston Pops Orchestra, Carnegie Hall, and the Library of Congress. I'll post links on my social media pages of Daniel performing because his talent is remarkable. Daniel Bernard Romain is the composer for the opera We Shall Not Be Moved. So it seemed that Michael and Val were able to get this New Yorker to travel to Philly after all. Daniel Bernard Remain is part of a trifecta of brilliant talents who developed the opera We Shall Not Be Moved. And I'll mention the other two a little bit later on. Right. So that's kind of how this all started. I know it was a long answer. No, that was a good answer. That was a very comprehensive answer. And and then from my... Go ahead. But it comes back to this works because our missions work. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm going to put on this what I was going to say to talk about that um, because we seem to be two disparate organizations. You know, on the one hand, I often say Art Sanctuary is a rounding error to, to our, our budget is so small compared to Opera Philadelphia's that, you know, 
they could lose our entire budget and be fine, right? Like, <laughs> but we see ourselves as equal partners, which is really cool. Um, and so one day, three or four years ago now, Mike and I, in my office, put up a Venn oh. diagram. You're like, what was she going to say? A Venn diagram um, to really talk about what's going forward and to yeah. make sure that our mission still aligned and that we were on the same page. Because we were already starting to think beyond what that current iteration of hip hopper was. Mm-hmm. And so what was amazing is when we put this Venn diagram on board, where we intersected was so incredible. Um, we had so we had many more th- places where we intersected than the disparate things that we did not intersect on. And so that gave us greater, I guess, energy to mm-hmm. continue to think about this work in this way and that we could continue first um, in ourselves say, this is a strong partnership and that this is something that is worthy to continue. It also gave us the opportunity to develop language to talk externally to other folks. You know, like, like what? You know, so from my perspective, um, when folks would say, well, why Opera Philadelphia? You know, it's like, oh my goodness, we are such strong partners and we want to make sure that every person that we touch gets access to world-class experiences and that For us, our mission is to use the power of black art to transform individuals, create and build community, and foster cultural understanding. And I often say, you don't have to be, first of all, you don't have to be black to like black art. And two, we believe that art connects people. And um, so across the board, um, as we work together, first with the first iteration of hip hop that I wasn't a part of, then I got to see from afar and heard about it um, from donors, actually, from afar, um, to then when it was announced that the Knight Foundation, Art Sanctuary had gotten the Knight Foundation grant for the second iteration mm-hmm. of Hip Hopper, I actually sent Lorraine Carey a note and said, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. If you ever need any help, I'm your girl. And then you joined Art Sanctuary and then in 2012. I joined, and yes, and so I had no idea at, the, at that point. And I had sung for Art Sanctuary a couple times at that point, um, and I think it was announced in 2012. I had just done... A premiere, a preview of a world premiere in December of 2011. I joined in 2012 in July, so a six-month period. When I did the performance, I didn't realize I was looking into the hood of the organization that I was going to then run. It's like you put your vision out into the universe. That's exactly and, right. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it came yeah, true. Yeah, and it came true. It's such a great story. So as you heard from both Michael and Val, the partnership between Opera Philadelphia and Art Sanctuary is a perfect marriage of missions, people, and organizations who want to provide world-class experiences to the residents of Philadelphia. Through the North Stars after-school program at Art Sanctuary and Hip Hopera, these two created an experience unlike anything else for children in Philly. And then they took it a step further by encouraging brilliant composers and artists to come to our city, take the creative expression of these students participating in the program, and turn that expression into something incredible. I loved Val's story about reaching out to Lorraine Carey, the founder of Art Sanctuary, telling her if she ever needed assistance, Val was her girl. And a year later, Val Gray becomes the executive director for Art Sanctuary and was soon thereafter working with Michael Bolton from Opera Philadelphia on the next iteration of Hip Hopera. And that's an iteration that eventually became an opera.
The Hip Hopper program brings teaching artists into participating schools to teach children about music, about creative expression through song, dance, and the written word. It's a unique experience for both the students, the schools, and the teaching artists. Some teaching artists have different type of teaching experiences versus the large classroom of energetic kids they're supporting throughout the Hip Hopper program. Val Gray and Michael Bolton shared some stories with me about how someone might look like a great fit for the teaching artist role on paper, yet once they're in the classroom, they may not be the best fit for the program. And these experiences are what helped them redefine how they identified and coached prospective teaching artists. From finding a more diverse team of artists to creating cohorts of teaching artists who teach one another and then expanded the networks to other schools. Created so many learning opportunities for us. And as David Devan says, um, I love this quote that he always says, don't ever let a good crisis go to waste. We that's, took that crisis, right? <laughs> so we took that crisis and we turned it around. Michael and I really started having meetings. We'd be remiss to not talk about the people who were a part of this first. Tarana Burke, who was our managing director, was an integral part mm -hmm. before I got there. Um, Biani Perez was our program manager, who became my educational partner um, in the organization after Toronto left. And so initially it was Biani and I would talk then Mike and I would talk, and then we would talk together, and we, over the course of the summer, rebuilt Hip Hopper. Mm -hmm. We reconfirmed our goal to be in those challenging spaces, that, and our commitment to be in those challenging spaces, where, spaces where we are needed the most. Mm -hmm. And there, that therefore requires a different kind of person. So someone could look really good on paper, but we started to learn some really clarifying questions, like, how are you with challenging folks? And so we've had some people say, I remember one question we asked was, do you like children? And someone said, does it matter? I'm like, thank oh. you very much. Right? <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for coming. <laughs> yeah. It's also interesting to see the impact we had at those schools. Yes, exactly. You know, one I mean, classic case in point was South Philadelphia High School. Yes. And yes. You know, we went into South Philadelphia High School, talked to Otis Hackney, whom we both adored and mm -hmm. admire and respect and everything. But we're like, oh my gosh. Anyone who's anyone went through this school. Right. Chubby Checker, Frankie Avalon, Marion Anderson, Mary yeah. Alonzo, Frank Guerrero, uh, uh, Fabian. Right. You know, all of all these folks are, right. from the 50s and, and opera singers and whatnot. And there's no the music, music program. In the school. It was no incredible. Really? Yes. Right. At that time. At that time, there was but no music. we were one of the few organizations, collaborators, who were, were investing in that school yeah. artistically. Yeah. And we were able to bring arts and bring music mm -hmm. into the school in a, in a very specific way. And we had... You know, we had wonderful, wonderful advocacy and support from Otis Hackney. Yep, we had a phenomenal cool. teacher, uh, and Barbara yeah. Keating, mm -hmm. who just went to bat for us anytime we needed anything. She was anything. amazing. And she was the English but teacher. She was the English teacher. Yeah. And she was so invested in it. Otis was so invested in it. But we helped change the culture at the yes. school. Yeah. And That's so, remarkable. Yeah. Right. So we helped change the the mindset at the school. Right. To, uh, you know, help them become aware that collaboration and, and, and partnerships are a good thing and how can we help our kids by getting involved with other arts organizations right and and, and it was really cool too because this was like two years ago i think we went to a meeting this is before yeah. otis yep. um became yep. like the city's education czar yep. so we went to a meeting and it was this long table <laughs> with all of these partners and all these arts partners and i remember at the end of the meeting i looked at mike and said i think our work here is done we need to take our resources and go someplace else because now they're up and running and they no longer fit our criteria. Yeah. And we love them. And not for nothing, all the kids that we were working with graduated. Right. So, you know, it was a perfect time for us to exit and then 
choose other schools that we go to or deepen our relationships in other schools. And that was really empowering also to see these kids, you know, in the classrooms. And then we changed the model that summer. We changed it from an end school to change it to an after school program open to all of the kids, all of the students in the school. Biani and, and Mike did, and some of our teaching learners did these wonderful, like, dog recruiting and pony show recruiting sections yeah. in, in the all school um, assemblies. And people were like, well, what if they don't come? I was like, I'm convinced if we build it, they'll come. If we build it, they'll come. And sure enough, they did. And we had this huge, wide variety of kids. kids. It was amazing. You know, we had a kid who had been at, like, Haverford Middle School, who was now at South Philadelphia High School. We had a girl from Texas. We had a girl who was homeless, right. who wanted to learn how to play the viola because she used to play the viola. We, we had a little bit of everything. Everything. White, every ethnicity. Everything. Everything. like Yeah, barely could speak and English. And it was amazing. And it was amazing. The bond, well, first of all, we found a couple of things. One of the things that became a core tenet of what we did was providing kids the opportunity to share their talents. Mm -hmm. Great. We're going to give you a writing assignment. But before we do that, what do you do? What do you want to share? Do you sing? Do you dance? We had three kids who were break dancers, and they would push all, the, all of the chairs away and start break dancing while Barbara Katie was like, no, 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 don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. Not in my classroom. <laughs> but just the sheer it talent. amazing. You know, it helped these kids gain respect for each other, mm -hmm. knowing that, that they were all so talented. But a key component to all of that was that we asked kids to critique each other. Mm -hmm. You know, here we are in a safe environment, what was good, what was bad, and why. Kids could be rough. Mm -hmm. And not just like, oh, you're a little pitchy. Oh, no. You know? <laughs> I have a teenage daughter. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I think it helped establish this sense of trust mm -hmm. nobody left the room crying mm -mm. actually we never got any tears no you know people respected what everybody had to say because they all wanted to improve what they were doing mm -hmm. this thing that they were so passionate about mm -hmm. and the thing that became extra magical was we were working in four schools south philadelphia high school mastery lenfest kensington kappa and esperanza academy charter school mm -hmm. at the end of the second year of this revised program this mm -hmm. new model we brought everybody everybody together mm -hmm. at our sanctuary mm -hmm. and we're like all right we'll get pizza we'll see how it goes mm -hmm. and i think we all expected that it would be very clicky each school would sort of mm -hmm. self-segregate mm -hmm. that didn't happen all the kids were this big mishmash taking selfies yeah it was um, great cool to see it was that so beautiful. while we had these bonds that were created mm -hmm. in the classroom it extended into this communal experience because they had all had the same experience. Exactly. And they and found their an tribe. They found a tribe. These kids found their tribe. Hundreds of kids from different schools throughout the city, different neighborhoods, different backgrounds, different home lives and experiences became a tribe through the work of Hip Hopera, the after-school program created by Opera Philadelphia and Art Sanctuary. Listening to Michael and Val share these stories about hip-hopera brought me to tears. I know, no big surprise there for you guys, right? They created a space where Philadelphia children would be exposed to music and the arts, gave them experiences they weren't having in school, at least until these schools were able to reestablish programs of their own, and helped them find a family all over the city of kids who might have seemed so different through one lens but really shared so much commonality when you looked at them through a different filter. 
And they had to look at themselves through a different lens too. Val and Mike, their colleagues, everyone had to consider each other's experiences and perspectives while recognizing their common goals and passions. And I just loved listening to them share so much about the evolution of hip hopera and the other programs they've developed to continue furthering the arts in schools in Philadelphia. Okay, we already talked about the composer, Daniel Bernard Romain. So let's talk about the librettist, Mark Bamudi Joseph. Uh, Tarana Burke suggested that mm-hmm. we reach out to uh, Mark Bamudi Joseph because mm-hmm. Tarana had, had worked with him in Atlanta because she had been in Atlanta. Turns out that Mark and Daniel were about to start on another project. There is together. a company of incredible. Incredible heavy hitters attached yes. to yeah. the work that you're doing. Yeah. Yes. to We Shall Not Be Moved. It, it's, um, it's amazing. Yeah. And I think um, here we have two guys mm-hmm. who have never written an opera. Mm-hmm. You know, we know Daniel has had, you know, symphonies premiered at Carnegie Hall, mm-hmm. but yet he's been on American Idol and worked with Lady Gaga. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, right. so it's like, right. you know, right. crazy. And then Mark has been all over the place. You know, he runs a youth education program in Yerba Buena, mm-hmm. but, you know, has been on HBO. He's working with Bonnie Rigg. He's working with Moss Right, right. Yeah, right. He's yeah. working with everybody. Mark is called a curator of words, ideas, and protagonists. That is so flipping cool. Mark is a librettist, a spoken word artist, and an educator. This year, he was featured on the cover of Smithsonian Magazine as one of America's top young innovators in the arts and sciences. Bamudi directed HBO's Russell Simmons Presents Brave New Voices, Anne is an inaugural recipient of the United States Artist Rockefeller Fellowship. The librettist in an opera is the author who creates the words that will then be set to music. Words and music, Bamudi and Remain, a remarkable creative team who worked with Michael Bolton from Opera Philadelphia, Val Gay from Art Sanctuary, the students participating in hip operas, musicians, soloists, and through the student writings, they all developed an opera rooted in one of the most tragically defining moments in our city. The Move Crisis is one piece of Philadelphia history featured in We Shall Not Be Moved. The other is the education budget deficit crisis in 2013, when thousands of Philadelphia students and teachers were displaced after the closure of 24 schools. As it stands, the school district has a 67% building utilization rate far below the optimal rate, 85 to 90%. With these changes announced today, the district will increase the number of students in school buildings and decrease the number of underutilized buildings, bringing the district's utilization rate to nearly 80%. In the end, it will mean safer, better equipped schools capable of meeting the educational needs of the school children of the city of Philadelphia. This decision is in no way an easy decision. But I know this process was arduous and sincere. And a serious effort made by Dr. Height and the school district leadership. But their decision was also one that says you cannot kick the can down the road any farther. The school district of Philadelphia, Superintendent Height, have my full and unequivocal support even in these tough and difficult times, making tough, difficult, but the right decisions on behalf of the school children today and the many hundreds of thousands who will seek to get an education in the decades to come. 
Initially, Superintendent William Height communicated the city's plan to close 44 schools. And after that announcement, parents, teachers, students lost their shit, protested, rallied, fought back, and saved a number of the schools that were on the hit list. So many of these schools that were closed were anchors for their neighborhoods. Philadelphia photographers documented the final weeks before school closures. There are images online on so many different websites of students and teachers in tears. What the city didn't realize, or maybe they did and either didn't care or didn't have a choice, was the depth of impact these closures had on families, especially children, including homeless children. For some Philadelphia kids, school was the only constant in their lives. After the closures, some children were commuting an hour or more across town to get to school on multiple city buses. There are stories of kids waiting at stops for buses that never came or came late because we all know how timely SEPTA can be. Through no fault of their own, kids would arrive at their new school after 9 a.m. only to be turned away because the school doors closed at 9. No school for you today. Maybe your kid would love the idea of an unscheduled day off. Because we take for granted the big yellow bus that shows up at the corner of your street and gets your kids to school in less than 20 minutes. Or the cars that teenagers can drive and park just a few feet from the front of the school. Maybe even passing a Starbucks on the way in and grabbing a latte before school starts. Yeah, that's not even remotely close to the experiences of so many kids in Philly, especially not after the closures in 2013. And Philadelphia is in a crisis. Our school system is in a crisis, and it's not fair to these children. And so it's so much better that if someone that we've trained can go someplace else and demonstrate their portfolio and know how to take any kind of content and synthesize it and create unit plans and create lesson plans and do assessments and talk and partner with classroom teachers, then the end result is that there will be less places that we need to go because they don't have credible folks. We also say that art for us is not a luxury. The people that we serve, they don't have the luxury of just art for art's sake. Their art is essential to the human condition and that we use the arts, all of our arts, as a way to help these young people unlock their own potential and to think differently and to see themselves differently and to see that they are part of a larger community. When we were in the classroom, our, pro- our program was really literary-based. So yeah. we had a writers, teaching artists that did writing, and a lot of writing, a lot of writing. Opera would come in. Um, I think they there was about like, the similarities between hip-hop and opera mm-hmm. is that it's all based on storytelling. Right, and I think they were just expecting something yeah. different, right? And so, But here we are asking them, here are these writings, turn it into an opera. Right, and they're like... And they're uh, like so this... So, in that time period, we had a meeting with Ramona Africa and mm-hmm. Sue Africa. I have never been more nervous the two to, of us were to be in a meeting ever because the only vision I've ever had is Ramona on the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we didn't even know Sue existed. Yeah, exactly. I don't know who asked them. I asked Mark and Daniel, like, well, how, how did you come up with this idea? Right. And Mark very specifically said, you know, I looked at these writings and he thought, where are these kids going to be 30 years from now? Well, what happened 30 years ago to get this generation to where it is? And he's like the police bombing of the move headquarters right. and and that same year to say um was the year, the year the school, the school started all the these schools closed yeah. yeah and so when you put those two together it it seems so it's so poetic and so beautiful and so fitting it also at the same time it just um speaks to the creativity and their creative and generative minds as well as opera philadelphia's uh propensity to take on risk 
and um, artistic risk, which is a beautiful thing. Because I remember, like, you either called me or sent me a text, and I was like, oh, my oh God. My God. Were, were just delivered we Shall Not Be Moved combines these two events, the move bombing and the Philadelphia school closures, and used writing from students in the hip-hopper program about their lives, their family, their lack of family, their struggles changing schools, getting to school, some having no home to go to after school at all. All of this was blended together into a collage of words and sound and dance and then turned into an opera. And that is fucking brilliant. Right. But, you know, here we, we thought to ourselves, as we looked at our second iteration of hip hop, we're like, these folks are going to be examining their own artistic expression over two, three years as this opera begins. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what are we going to do with these kids for three years, right. four years before... So that's how this whole idea of, like, let's have them explore self-expression. Yeah. Let's have them explore dance. Let's have them explore photography. Mm -hmm. Theatrical, just theatrical. Giving them ways to look at self-expression right. as, as an artistic tool, as a healing tool, mm -hmm. as a way of getting to know themselves better. Right. But ultimately, always coming back to the idea of we want to validate what you have to say. Yes. How are we empowering you to say, hey, these folks who don't need to give a damn actually, actually do. Art Sanctuary has another connection to MOVE. The building, the history, the founder, and the people who have been behind so much of the community outreach for decades. Including one man in particular, who was an advocate for the MOVE organization in the 70s. The fact that Ramona Africa will call me on my cell phone. Right, me something. too! She called me on my cell phone. Oh my gosh! I'm like, like it's Ramona Africa! And I was like, here's you know, Ramona! It's, it's, if you had told me that when I was 16 years old and saw the houses on right. fire, you would have blown my mind. Right. And, and the other thing is, and I remember saying this and feeling like it was important for me to tell the truth to her because it's the truth that I had said to Michael and to other members of the staff of being like, move, move was not accepted by many people in the city, yeah, period. And particularly among black people. I remember growing, I grew up in Philadelphia, I grew up in West Philadelphia. In fact, my parents' first apartment before they bought their house was like diagonally across from move and i remember and our church was not that far from there so we would when i was little i remember being in the back seat at night hearing all this noise from these people as we drove by the house and no one everybody talked very disparagingly about them like oh my god you better wash your hair before you become like move or you know what do you mean you want to eat raw food um were you trying to be move you know a um, move became like the the urban boogeyman and then May 13th happened. It was like before then and after then. Before then, it was them. After then, it was us. And even though, and even having said that, and I re recalled the other day, I was talking to some friends about this, that I actually, and I think I told you this, Mike, I saw um, Ramona in the elevator. For some reason, I was in City Hall. And this was probably like 1995, something like that. And I don't know why I was in... City Hall, but I somehow was in City Hall. She gets in the elevator. And I remember standing behind her and just looking. But there was something about seeing the scars on her arm. She was, and I was so surprised at how small she was. That she is, she's tiny and you know, and, and just this powerful force. And I think I remember she spoke to me, because she does. That's who she is. She's like Mama Ramona. Hello, my sister. I'm like, hello. But kind of like this. 
because I was still too, even though it was yeah. us and them, it was, I don't know, it was, it was not, I wasn't, and I'm somewhat ashamed, but I have to tell the truth, that's where I was. This work has, um, as the young people say, woke me, uh, right? And um, when we, we had the great fortune of meeting her and Sue and having a two-hour yeah. conversation yeah. that was yeah. open, and I remember at one point I was like, I can't, I can't hold it any longer. Sue, um, who are you? <laughs> and she was like, oh, yeah, you don't know me. You wouldn't know me. Because the media, the police particularly, and the media kept me out of the media. I was in jail. The reason I'm not dead or, or maimed is that I was in jail during that time period. But my son, Her son was killed. And we did, when and first of all, Mike and I, we can't hold, we can't pay, play poker because we're like, wait, what? And she was like, yeah, my blonde-haired, blue-eyed son was killed in it. And I'd never heard that before. And I remember we looked at it and I was like, I'm sorry. I know why people were removed. She was like, I know. And that was by design, right? They didn't want and so she tells us all these stories and telling um, Ramona about how we felt beforehand being and how I felt being in Philadelphia beforehand and listening to other people. And then when when the houses were rebuilt and what happened to that community, you know, um, just the, houses were they, they weren't mm-hmm. built to code. You exactly. The utter disregard for human life continually. And those people, that community. And a generation of, two generations of tragedy. Yes. It's been systemic, you know? institutional Absolutely. degradation of that community. It is so incredible. And the thing was, what's the funny part is, in some respects, that particular community, if you look at the black community en masse in Philadelphia, that particular, that particular area is a pretty decent community, mm-hmm. right? It's intact. People own their homes. You know, kids go to good schools. You know, parents will, they have extra money. There is a solid middle class to some of those folks, I'm sure, are upper middle class families. To happen to them mm-hmm. in this city, if they were white, frankly, mm-hmm. if they were white, there is no way in the world this would have happened. There's no way in the world it would have continued to happen. Absolutely right. And so part of this work and um, let the fire burn, which, by the way, parenthetically, if anyone's not seen it, you should see that documentary. Um, what you, who you, one of the people you'll hear talking in is Father Paul Washington. Mm-hmm. Father Paul Washington was the rector of the Church of the Advocate, where our sanctuary was born, in the sanctuary surrounded by the art. Father Paul, um, Lorraine Carey was a Sunday school teacher there. She didn't live in the community, but she loved Father Paul and the work that he did. He drew all these activists and artists from all over the city, all over the region. And what she realized was that the kids that she was teaching Sunday school didn't know a lot of stuff and didn't hadn't seen stuff. And so she realized they hadn't seen the beach. And so she and her husband would pile them into their van and drive them to Cape May. And then, you know, she's a writer and she has all these friends. So she would bring her writing friends in. And eventually it became bigger than her Sunday school class. And she realized this is a program. And so she went to Father Paul and said, can I start a program here? And he said, yes. And apparently, the other part of the story is that then he said, um, when she would credit him, he would say, but what she doesn't say is how many other people she went to and asked first. And they said no. And they said no. And so, but when Father Paul talks to me, this is how close and how in, literally incestuous the city is, which is a beautiful thing, but can be a little creepy. Um, <laughs> that Father Paul, this activist, you know, who welcomed 
the Black Panthers because they were doing things that was helping the community. The media and the police showed them in a different light. And certainly they had a militant streak to them, but they were feeding kids. They were actually doing the work that Jesus said <laughs> do. They were feeding people. They were clothing people. They were educating people. They were helping people see themselves differently. You know, the famous photo of the Black Panthers against the wall with no clothes on happened outside of the Church of the Advocate. Really? In North Philadelphia with Frank Rizzo. Well, it's just Rizzo had the media in his pocket. Exactly. Right? right? Um, and so and fa- so Father Paul was incredible. Father Paul is also the same. Po- and this is directly connected to this opera because this is what this has come out of, this movement. Father Paul in 1969 through 1972, I think, commissioned two local artists to paint murals on the inside perimeter of the Church of the Advocate. If you've never been, you got to go and see these murals. They, the murals depict scenes from the Bible from Genesis all the way around to Revelation, but all the figures are black. And because he's, the church is basically a replica of Notre Dame, this smack down in the hood. Um, it was built in 1890 when um, North Philadelphia looked very different ethnically and just demographically different. After white flight, the Episcopal Church um, Diocese in Philadelphia was going to close the Church of the Advocate. Um, and they said to this young priest, Father Paul Washington, you know, we're going to close this unless you take your family there and go. So lots of gang wars, all kinds of stuff. He says yes. He goes and starts to transform the neighborhood. There are people alive today because Father Paul literally went out in the street and stopped war infections. There are men who are businessmen who credit their lives to Father Paul Washington. This is the man that had the first Black Panther conference at the Church of the Advocate in 1971 or 72. He also worked with Moot. He also, you know, he, he was an incredible I read figure. about him in a couple of the books I read about right. Moot. He was one of the people that advocated on their behalf with the city of Philadelphia yes. when, when Rizzo was trying to get them evicted from Palatin. Yes, and, and so that is... That's our lineage. That's where we came out of. Our sanctuary came out of. So like doing this full circle, we're related to that, right? And so for me to know about that and to learn, and I'm so grateful to two Haitian black immigrants. In Mark and Daniel. In Mark and Daniel, who are not Philadelphians, to come and get this story and bubble this story up so that people more people than the people that moved that Ramona could ever reach. Ramona's going to have some folks and she's going to continue to reach people, but she's going to continue to reach woke people, frankly, and people who are interested and inquisitive. This opera is opening up these issues to the world. We Shall Not Be Moved is the story of a family, five North Philadelphia teenagers affected by the school closures, looking for a place to live, a place where they can be the family that they've created for themselves. And they take refuge in an abandoned house in West Philadelphia, which coincidentally is the old move headquarters that was bombed in 1985. This is my body, colored, girl. I'm exposed to touch or trash. I'm from North Philadelphia. 
of the wrong class, of the wrong caste, America, what's so wrong you got laws against this body? There on Osage Avenue, John Henry, John Little, John Mack, John Blue, and their sister Unsung encounter characters called the OG. They're ghosts of people killed in the fire on Osage. These spirits provide a unique education to the teens through movement and conjuring, sharing not only the history of the residents of Osage, but people from other times in history as well. Ghosts aren't the only characters watching this family of teenagers who've taken up residence on Osage Avenue. There's a police officer named Glenda, who was a North Philly kid herself many years before, who tries to get the kids out of the house and back into school when a tragic accident happens. Glenda unintentionally fires her weapon, shooting John Henry. In Act 2, Glenda is at the mercy of these kids. They've got her gun. One of their own is bleeding on the floor, and the ghosts of Osage continue to surround everyone, and Unsung realizes they've all got to get away. She sends her brothers out of the house, and it's just the teenage girl Unsung and Glenda, the police officer, left inside. And the stage goes black. What happened? Was someone killed? Was it Unsung? Was it Glenda? Was it no one? When the lights come back, the kids are gone, and Glenda is left on stage telling a reporter about her experiences as the house on Osage burns to the ground. So much of this story is told through movement, the movement of the OG Osage ghosts, and that's where our third superstar comes in the director and choreographer, Bill T. Jones. There's something about the nature of truth. And um, as Frank O'Hara, the great beat poet, said, the only truth is face-to-face. When we're, the cameras are not running, when someone has been transgressed against, so one sees themselves unwillingly as a transgressor, who has the strength, the fortitude, to call it, I'm so sorry. Jones is an artist, a choreographer, dancer, theater director, and writer. You know, he calls it Bill T. Jones. And says, hey, I'm working on this piece. What do you think? Would you be interested in being being part of this? And Bill T. Jones. Bill T. Jones. Bill T. Jones. Said oh yes. my gosh. And so that I mean. Very busy man. The schedule changed. And so our original plan of premiering it in like 2015 changed. He's the recipient of more awards than you could count, including the National Medal of Arts, the MacArthur Genius Award, Kennedy Center Honors, and so many others. Bill Jones won a Tony in 2010 for his choreography in the musical Fila. And he won a Tony in 2007, again for choreography, this time for the production of Spring Awakening, So yeah, this guy has been working at the Wilma Theater along with composer Daniel Bernard Romain and librettist Mark Bamudi-Joseph. Oh, and did I mention world-famous mezzo-soprano Kristen Chavez is part of the cast? She plays the role of Glenda, the police officer. Kristen performs around the globe, most notably in the role of Carmen, but she's done other modern operas like this one, too. Now, here's the kick in the teeth. If you're local, I know you're saying, oh my God, I've got to get tickets for this. And I wish you could, but every performance of We Shall Not Be Moved has been sold out 
for weeks, and it just opened, which is amazing. When I met Michael Bolton from Opera Philadelphia this summer, we talked about the reaction of people hearing he was working on an opera about move. And it's so much more than that. That sentence is just a simple 10-second description. That word is polarizing in this city. You'd have people that would want to see this dynamic production because it has connections to the move tragedy and others that would run from it. And clearly, the people of Philadelphia have been compelled to support and embrace this show. There are no tickets available. We can only hope after the premiere run, the show grows and maybe expands to other cities. Fingers crossed. There's one more story of hip hopper kids I want to share with you. And actually, I'll just let Val tell the story for us. On that stage, we had professional musicians and our kids performing. And this one girl wrote a piece from South Philly. She was in 10th grade, I think, at the time. Um, And it was called um, Emergency Emergency Broadcasting System. And it was written about her life growing up. And it was a poem she started writing with her father. And her father uh, was imprisoned. Mm -hmm. And she had to finish the poem on her own. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to finish this as a way of as right. like a present for her father. Right. So she finished yeah. it. And then it was so awesome. I then invited her to to our annual big celebration at that time, Black Writing Festival. And we have an annual awards, Lifetime Achievement Award. So in the front row was Sonia Sanchez, Kenny Gamble. On the, the percussion playing behind her is Alicia Keys' um, percussionist. You can't, you can't make this stuff up. She opens the show. It's like she came, she came and walked to the X. The light's going to turn on and you go. She's like, okay. She goes out there. Light turns on. She goes. She kills it in front of all these people. She kills it. Then she goes backstage and she's sitting on the floor doing her homework. And I was right. like, honey, do you want to go out there? And she said, no, no, I can see if I can't watch it on monitor. I was like, okay. I said, let me ask you a question. Um, I just want to make sure, because I heard a story, and I just want to make sure it's correct. I heard when you performed at the Annenberg just a couple weeks before, um, and you killed it there, Miss Keating, your teacher, said to you, um, oh, my God, that was amazing. You were DBR, and you did all these people, and it was 900 people. It was a sold-out show, 900 people, and you killed it. Wasn't it amazing? And she was like, yeah, that was good, but you know what was the best part? And the teacher says, what? She goes, it's when we all went up together into the room afterwards and you couldn't tell who was in what school. We found out that night, actually met her father. So I didn't know that, that she started with her father and she wanted to present it. I met her father and her grandmother. Okay, so she was 16. Father had been in jail for 10 years and he had been exonerated. He was a wrongful conviction? Yes. He missed a third of her life and he was in the audience and he got to hear his baby. And I'll never forget the look on his face, like how proud he was. I mean, I thought it was extraordinary, like just the look on his face. But I didn't know that story because I would have been bawling the whole time. It was just awesome. And she was just really nonplussed about it. Like, yeah, I did it. I want to thank you for taking this journey through time, history, and creativity with me. It was a truly incredible experience spending time with Val and Michael. And there are so many other programs offered by both Opera Philadelphia and Art Sanctuary that support children all over the city, in addition to the artistic contributions both organizations make to Philadelphia. And it's funny because um, for us, while hip hop, so initially hip hop was only supposed to be two years. We only had enough money for two years. And somehow or another, I'm so grateful, so grateful (laughs) um, that we were able to extend it to five years, basically. Yeah. 
Um, and but what came out of that is um, over a cup of coffee. That's our origin story for this. Um, <laughs> over a cup of coffee at Starbucks at one Starbucks day. Downstairs. Downstairs. <laughs> I said to Mike, Mike, what's missing? And he's like, What do you mean? I was like, It was like. Oh shit, we haven't covered music yet. Right. <laughs> you know, we've done all of these right. other Right. We, we, haven't, we done haven't done music. We're the opera company. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this it's is like an the issue. Co- the cobbler whose kids don't have shoes. Exactly. <laughs> and so, um, and that's our teen choir, all city teen choir was born called T Voce, Teen Voices of the City Ensemble. Mike named that. And the whole double entendre of Voce meaning, meaning voice in Italian and you know, certainly um, opera um, folks know that word. And for two years, we talked about it. Mm-hmm. And we were like, yeah, 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 nobody's going to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we kept talking. We got, we convinced Otis to let us um, use his school, South Philly, as the situs. So after school, kids from all over, he was like, yes. And every time I saw him, I was like, Otis, I just want to confirm that once we get some money, <laughs> Team Bojay can be here. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So as long as they follow the rules, I don't care. The idea was it was going to be a no audition choir that um, we would do lots of different genres, including classical music, but lots of different genres. And we wanted to focus on those kids who don't have arts in school. There are also volunteer opportunities with Art Sanctuary and Opera Philly. Are there opportunities for people to volunteer to help to contribute? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Should they yes. go to your websites, the respective websites, yes. Philly Opera Please, and Art Sanctuary? Okay. Okay. You can always email me. Yes. And email, I almost called you Veronica. Right. Email, <laughs> That's Val. <laughs> Val. <laughs> you can always email me at bolton at operaphila.org or you can email Val. At Val Gay, V-A-L-G-A-Y, at artsanctuary.org. And it's one S, so A-R-T-S-A-N. The rest of the world, sanctuary. As they said, you can learn more about volunteering, other programs, and so much more about these organizations online. For Opera Philadelphia, go to www.operaphila, that's O-P-E-R-A-P-H-I-L-A dot org. There you can read about their community outreach programs, the other fantastic productions happening around the city right now through Opera with a Twist. You can read up on the cast and production team of We Shall Not Be Moved. For Art Sanctuary, go to www.artsanctuary.org. You can learn so much more about how the Art Sanctuary values come to life through their art education and family public programming. (laughs) (laughs) But our our ultimate goal with Tivoche is to have a multi-pronged arts organization. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we have kids. So Play on Philly is our partner, mm-hmm. so they cover instrumental music. Mm-hmm. Tivoche is our singing component, so yep. we have singers. You know, we want to be able to offer a dance component. Yes. We have a phenomenal dance teacher at Esperanza Academy Charter School in Tanya Ramos, but, yes. you know, we want to add spoken words so that right. we have opportunities to say, hey, on Saturdays we do singing. On Wednesday after school we do dance. Right. On, you know, whatever day of the week it is, come together come and together. share your talents yeah. with us. And they do we, it spontaneously too. We're like, not there yet. We're not there yet, but because we're on we our way because we, we need, need money. money and yes, we need people. We <laughs> do hear that. Yes, we need money. Money. We need money. But and our aspirations are large because one, these children are worth it. And if we don't serve these children now, they will not serve us later. And Philadelphia is really a microcosm of our entire country. Um, and, and in every community, there is a community that is being underserved. Mm-hmm. 
And so whether it's poor white kids in Appalachia or it's poor Asian kids in another part of the country or poor Latino kids, it doesn't matter. Like these are all our kids. And we say very clearly that I believe strongly that every child on the face of this planet is my child. I don't care what body they come in. I don't care what beliefs they have. They are my child. And I cannot rest until I know that I've done my part to help my children. I have to thank Michael Bolton from Opera Philadelphia and Val Gay from Art Sanctuary for all the time they gave me, the beautiful stories they shared about the creation and evolution of the Hip Hopper program, the impacts they've had on children in Philadelphia, and the opera We Shall Not Be Moved. Regrettably, I have not been able to see the opera. I saw a preview this summer, but I haven't been able to see it in its entirety. I tried to get tickets a while ago, and they were already sold out. Michael was kind enough to offer me the opportunity to view a rehearsal. And pretty much the day after I met with Michael and Val is when my dog passed away. And I was just out of commission, off the grid, and in a really difficult spot for a while. So, Michael, thank you for that, and I'm sorry I wasn't able to take you up on that generous offer. If any of you knew about We Shall Not Be Moved before listening to this episode and are going to see the opera, I would love to hear what you thought of it. I am sure it will be moving and brilliant and wonderful. As always, thank you for listening. That's it from me. Ciao for now, Twisters.